Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about soil pH, the importance of soil pH, what it does exactly in your soil and how it can impact everything related to your crop. We'll get to that as we go throughout the show today. We'll also be taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd like to call into the show, again, the number is 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute, but to start the show talking about soil pH, I, I just say we often discuss pH and we'll say, hey, it's the first thing we want you to look at on the soil test. That does not necessarily mean that that should be the first dollar you spend on the farm, but it's really important, especially if your pH is low and it's easy to fix that way. But you want, always want to keep in mind that your soil pH the reason why it isn't ideal, if it's not, is most likely an imbalance of nutrients. Now, what caused that imbalance, that's up to you and your agronomist to try to figure out. On the high pH side, we often talk about drainage causes the problem because then you get certain nutrients held up in the soil that wouldn't normally get held up. But you could have excess sodium, excess magnesium, excess calcium. Those things could all drive the pH overly high. You could have just the lack of calcium in your soil, pushing pH way down. But usually what we're talking about, at least for corn, soybeans, and wheat, we'd like to see that pH somewhere in the sixes. 6.3 to 6.8 we often say is kind of the ideal range for pH. We'd like to be somewhere close to that. And if you've got that, at least you have a little bit better availability of nutrients. And then the other side of it is you have better conditions for overall soil life. So if your pH gets out of whack, let's say it's really high, it's up in the 8s or worse. If it's really low, it's down in the 4s, maybe low 5s or something, you most likely are not going to have as much life in your soil. We talk all the time about beneficial fungi and bacteria, but there's a, there are a lot of things living in your soil, and we want them to do well, or at least most of them, because a lot of things in that soil are very beneficial for your crops, your crop production, and then your overall profitability as well. So anyway, we'll talk more about soil pH later in the show, but right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian. I love when we get follow-up questions. When when we answer questions for someone and they say, okay, that's cool and I appreciate that. Now, how about this? Well, that's exactly what we got. We got from uh, Reed here. And he said, thanks for asking my questions. I got two follow-ups for you. First of all, can I raise my calcium-based saturation without raising my soil pH? Would I have to use gypsum to do that? Okay, you can raise your calcium level without raising your soil pH. But I guess uh, we need to talk about the factors. Okay, so I, I'm guessing here's where we're at. Let's let's just – I got want, one you sample. Want the second part because the second part – Oh, yeah, go lime. ahead. Okay, go second ahead. second part is – would you recommend applying lime on my peat ground to lower the pH? The 0 to 6 pH is low, but the 6 to 24 pH is high. I had thought about just inverting or mixing that soil, but after looking at how salty the 6 to 24 is, I was thinking that might be a bad idea. <laughs> okay, so if it's salty, then what we're looking for there is 
drainage and fixing the drainage. But let me say this. Uh, we, we don't have a figure on sodium down deep. All we have for a deep test is we've got sulfur, nitrate, and soluble salts. I th Oh, and soil pH. So it, it'd be kind of nice to know everything before you start doing a bunch of that. But I mean, if you fix a drainage problem, then usually the salt problem is going to go away because salts are leachable. Now, if you're in an area, and I know you are, that doesn't get a tremendous amount of rainfall, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take years. But with natural rainfall, that will flush through. Now, with this peat ground, and for our listeners, get this, 258 CEC, 258, yes, that's not a typo. So it's a ridiculous amount of cation exchange capacity, in part because of the soil organic matter. It's 33.5% organic matter. So what we often talk about on the show here is how do you build soil organic matter? You reduce tillage. How do you lower your soil organic matter? You can do tillage. If it's me and I got peat ground, what am I doing? I'm probably going to mow board plow. And I realize for anybody listening who's a never-till person, you're going to go, oh my goodness, you don't want to do that. Well, I do because I got 34% organic matter in this case. So I would do tillage. That's what I would do. But anyway, the other thing is when you have organic matter that high, just understand everything's going to get tied up and also drainage is going to be a problem. So one year I was out on a farm in North Carolina, way on the East Coast, and they had really high organic matter levels, not this high, but it's probably 15% or more. And I just asked them about tile, and they said, we ran the calculations. We'd have to have tile every few feet. It doesn't work in super high organic matter ground. So what they did was a bunch of ditching. I don't love that either, but I'm just saying it's, it's a real challenge when you've got peat soil like this. So in that case, I'd probably do tillage because your lower level of soil is higher in pH and your top six inches is 4.6. You could try a little lime and a little bit of it and then just see how it pans out over time. Now to his other question, on his regular ground, it's still really high in cation exchange capacity and there is a lot of organic matter in some spots. Uh, so I've got one spot of 18% organic matter, another nine and a half it's a lot. So, I mean, on any of this ground, I'm probably doing a lot of tillage. But why did the pH get high? Okay, is drainage a little bit of it and soluble salts a little bit of it? Yes. Sodium is up there a little, but we're only talking 1% to 2% sodium. It's not terrible. The bigger problem, magnesium. If you improve the drainage, there's excess sulfur in this ground, so we're talking hundreds of pounds of sulfur. As the sulfur leaches away, then it's probably going to strip out magnesium along with it. So I'd probably work on improving my drainage. And could you put some gypsum out and not have the pH go up? Absolutely, because that'll help flush that magnesium out if the drainage is improved. Yeah, I know it's a little bit of a challenge. All right, we'll get to uh, your questions and soil pH next. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Farmers everywhere are discovering Germinator closing wheels. Dick from Iowa says, in every case, our germination rate was better than expected. Total destruction of the furrow sidewall and ideal seed-to-soil contact. See what others are saying at farmshopmfg.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. 
mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Fight today's resistant weeds and prevent those of tomorrow. University trials and grower use proves that adding Tough IVC to the post-tank mix significantly improves the control of resistant weeds, such as Palmer amaranth, water hemp, and kochia. Tough IVC is a selective, contact herbicide that synergizes with HPBD inhibitors and enhances atrazine with fast results. Tough IVC is in stock and ready to ship. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about soil pH. And it is one of those things on the soil test that catches a lot of attention. Why are things out of balance? Why do we have a high pH? Why do we have a low pH? And what can we do about fixing that? We'll be discussing that today. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 844- 44 ag phd and you can always email us radio at ag phd.com i got a pile of soil samples over here that maybe we'll get to comment on and i know there's always some different questions soil ph is generally one of them uh, when we're up in southern north dakota though we fight some ph issues there too we got our friend eric up there right now uh, eric how you doing i'm doing good how are you pretty good all right so on your farm what percentage of the ground have you had to fight high pH soils, and what percentage would you say you've had to fight low pH soils? Um, I would say about sixty to seventy percent is high pH, meaning you know over that seven point oh, seven point two, and then there's probably twenty percent, you know, right in the good range, and then the rest of it's below that. So there's we've been starting to grid sample more. And then finding out that there is there is some stuff in the fives, you know, in the lower sixes, but not a lot. But we have had to use some pelletized lime in the past, I don't know, five, six years that we never did before. Yeah, I like that, Eric, that you, that you mentioned. You know, hey, we found some spots, didn't really think about it because everybody says, oh, no, it's it's all high pH up there, just like where we're at. Oh, it's all high pH, and then we find some new ground where the pH is down in the fours or in the low fives. Like, oh, man, it's not all high. And the low pH, easier fix, like you said, you can put some lime on. How about in some of that high pH ground? Do you just try to farm around it and just say, all right, well, it just is what it is, or are there some things that you're doing to try to fix it? Well, we're slowly getting moved over to more strip-till. Uh, we used to do some in the past. So we're banding more nutrients, banding uh, um, ammonium sulfate in the high areas, you know, the the ones over eight and in the upper sevens. Um, so 
so that's how we're trying to fix it. We never did any of that before. We used to just broadcast AMS, but we're trying to only put it where it's needed and then also band it to cut down on rates. Yeah, I know guys that are farming rented ground, too, that say, man, if I could just ban some of that, even if it only influences it for part of the year, at least my crop can get off to a good start with a, a more moderate pH right around that root system. What are you seeing with that? I know there is a lot of demand to use more sulfur, so that's kind of a good thing that that's, hey, we're already fighting high pH, sulfur's part of our solution, and oh yeah, by the way, our crop needs more sulfur, too. Right. Um Actually, this past fall was the first time we banded any sulfur. We did some strip till the you know two falls ago, and just kind of got going on it and just learning how the strip till works. And now this year we're making a few more changes, and also um, we also banded some uh, elemental sulfur last fall on about three fourths of a forty. So we we did leave some untreated to see. This was a forty that had a lot in the eight we grid sampled it and so we'll leave some untreated just, just to see if the ph does come around versus the untreated how about crop rotation eric does it change your crop rotation or it just changes management within those crops it doesn't really change the crop it's just the management of them like i said we're starting to the strip till is is uh slowly taking off i guess we're just trying to get get into it more and and I would say just more managing the nutrients differently and, you know, then that cuts down your cost per acre. Sure, sure. All right, so this spring, what's happened in the field so far up there? Anything at all? No, nothing at all. Just a little bit of soil sampling, but that's just on the lighter ground and and uh, it looks to me like it'll be two to three weeks yet. Yeah, it needs to warm up, that's for sure, going into this spring to get, get things in shape. We're talking with Eric here up in southern North Dakota. Eric, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck to you as you get started out in the field soon. Yeah, good luck to you too, Darren. Bad, thanks. Uh, let's head up to Saskatchewan. we got Tom Weir on with us right now. He's an agronomist up there. Tom, how are you doing today? Doing good. So we're talking soil pH today, and I know you guys fight some high pH too. So what what are guys doing about that, and are they finding ways to to get successful crops anyway? Well, uh, yeah, generally uh, the crops we're growing are doing quite well in in the uh, a lot of our soils are seven five to eight five, and and they do quite well. Um, I think one of the things that's helping is a lot of canola is growing around here. Uh, probably 40% of the, the crop is our canola and has been for a number of years. And uh, canola is a very heavy user of sulfur. So uh, routinely for the last 25, 30 years, growers have been putting on uh, ammonium sulfate. So that has helped uh, to um, reduce the, the overall uh, pHs uh, a little bit. Um, sure. And at the same time, nitrogen is, is doing it too. So uh, that, that, those are the only real uh, practices that, that guys are practicing uh, routinely. 
Hey, you mentioned uh, the nutrients and, and that canola needs a lot of sulfur and, and some of the other crops can handle the high pH, but I know there are some nutrients that get a little tougher to, to be available in soils with higher pHs. Are there any specific nutrients that you'd say growers struggle with? You, you mentioned uh, nitrogen and sulfur so far, but uh, are there some that you say, yeah, guys are always worried about zinc or they're always worried about uh, copper or something in these soils? I think uh, phosphate is the one that's uh, most troublesome, and uh, inherently we're we haven't got abun- uh, an abundance of, of uh, phosphate. So uh, because of that, uh, and because of the high pHs, it, it's it's a difficult uh, cycle. So most of the phosphate that goes down is uh, is either seed placed or, or side banded. So that helps a little bit because uh, with the nitrogen and the sulfur going down. Uh, with it, it tends to acidify uh, that uh, band, and, and so the utilization of, of the phosphate, so uh, probably a, a little better. We don't uh, have a lot of broadcast applications of phosphate uh, due to the pH and, and being tied up uh, quite quick, quickly. So uh, it's the biggest problem I think we've got is, is just... Uh, um, increasing the, the background uh, uh, amount of phosphate and, of course, the prices. Oh, uh, these yes. Not, yeah, I'm like, Tom, why couldn't you pick a cheaper nutrient? Come on. Uh, I know what you mean, though. <laughs> right. That phosphate can be really tough. And, and we've had good luck with the banding as well. Uh, you know, when we look at, at strip till, and I know Eric was just on talking about strip till and how that's worked, but, you know, there are other guys doing two by two and these types of things as well, just to make the most use of these nutrients. And as you mentioned, keep them concentrated. So the tie up is, uh, it takes a little longer to tie things up. So, so that's important. You know, when you look at, at canola, are there any specific strategies for nutrition on canola that the guys have liked? You mentioned the ammonium sulfate. Are they doing something specific with phosphate? Do they have favorite products or favorite application methods um i don't think that it's pretty varied i mean we use uh, phosphate it's basically map or uh mes uh are the two probably majority vast majority of the products go down as, as one of those two um we do have some elemental sulfur going down uh, i guess i would uh uh from my experience, question uh, your previous caller's uh, banding of, of, of uh, elemental sulfur. We've just not had very good luck at all putting it in the ground. We had a lot better success with the uh, elemental sulfur broadcasting it in the fall and letting the, uh, the freeze-thaw cycle go through it and break up those, uh, those uh, uh, fine particles sure, so they sure. can react. Yeah, there's been such a difference. I know we've worked with elemental sulfur on our farm here for a number of years, too, and we've, we've seen such a difference in some products break down faster than others. And as we travel around the country and, and across North America, we, we do hear a lot of varying reports on elemental sulfur of, man, I'm having good luck, and other guys aren't. And some of it ends up being the, the material that they're getting in their particular area where they're, they're growing. I like your strategy, though. Getting it out in the fall gives a little more time for breakdown, and that can be a problem. So if you're going to spend all the money on elemental sulfur, you definitely want to have it working for you. Uh, thanks, Tom. We've had Tom Weir on here. He's an agronomist up in Saskatchewan who's been sharing a little bit about the high pH struggles they've got in that area. Uh, good luck to you, Tom, as you head into the spring. And stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product, it's peace of mind knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking soil pH. It's a big deal. A lot of farmers are very focused on this one uh, and landlords as well. It's, it's been interesting talking through some of those conversations of, okay, I've got rented ground. I want to make sure we're getting the lime on. How do we do that? How many years do we structure into the rental agreement? How do we pay for that? Those kinds of things. On the high pH side, though, I don't really hear many of those discussions. So be interesting. If you've got one with your landlord, uh, would love to hear about that as well. Uh, i got Jared on with us right now over in Illinois with a question on ammonium sulfate. Jared, how are you doing today? Doing good, Darren. Good to talk to you again. You bet. You bet. All right. What are you thinking on the AMS? So my question is, is assigning a, a per unit cost for the nitrogen to that 
since AMS uh, is one of those few that has multiple multiple fertilizer components to it with the sulfur. Absolutely. You know, when you think about that, how much sulfur's in there, how much nitrogen's in there, and if you need everything and need all of both, well, great. It's a, it's a perfect solution. Is it a cheaper way to get nitrogen? Does it cost more? Okay, Brian, different form of well, nitrogen, too. Well, hold up. Uh, so, so, Jared, uh, why, why are you asking the question? What, do you, what are you ultimately after here? Uh, so, uh, comparing the cost of the AMS to uh, urea program. Okay. So we're we're working on uh, matching the breakdown rates and the nitrogen forms more better matching them up with the uptake schedule and the actual form that the crops taking up at that time. Okay, so with ammonium sulfate, and you say with the crops taking it up at a certain time, are you talking about just the fact that with ammonium sulfate, it's to some degree a little bit of controlled release nitrogen as opposed to urea that's pretty well available just about day one. Pretty much, yeah. We're putting on okay. a 20 gallon of 28% with our planters, so we don't need that much nitrogen on the front end of things. And since AMS, uh, for the soil workshop, breaks down in 60 days compared to urea 30, uh, we're wanting to spread the AMS, thinking that that'll uh, better spread out the nitrogen for uh, loss prevention methods, but also keep the nitrogen away from the water hand. <laughs> Gotcha. Uh, okay. The the other side of it is the ammonium sulfate has sulfur, and I guess I, that's kind of where I assumed you were going to go in the first place. With that sulfur that's in there, have, have you applied any other sulfur on the farm? So in other words, do you need this sulfur component or do you not need the sulfur? The only other form of sulfur that we have applied is uh, in the form of starter fertilizer, 918-91S. Add six gallons of the acre. Yeah, so basically nothing. Uh, how about soil organic matter? How much organic matter is in your soil, roughly? About 2%. Two? Okay, and so you're going to get almost nothing out of that. Changes, get the cation exchanges uh, sub-10 CEC. Sure. So then I guess it comes back to just looking at whatever value you would like to place on that sulfur. And, I, I mean, you can... You can buy different forms of sulfur, but very commonly, sulfur is in blends. So it it, mm-hmm. it 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 does get to be a little bit challenging. But, I mean, honestly, if it's me, what we will typically do on our farm is we'll say, look, we got to get at least, let's call it 20, 25 pounds of sulfur out there for just about every crop, especially corn, though. Corn needs a lot. So I'm placing some value on that sulfur, and then because of that, that lowers the price of the nitrogen in the ammonium sulfate. So I, I guess I'm kind of wondering if if there's a specific question out of this, because I, I assume you know how to run all the calculations and everything, but if you're looking for the how much more is it worth to have a little bit of controlled release out of that ammonium sulfate, it's worth something. But the problem is there's nobody that can place an exact value on it because we don't know what you're going to get for rainfall, for heat, anything. Like urea, for example, in a lot of our ground, we have heavy ground, and sometimes we'll go a month without rain. So then it did me no good to spend additional money on controlled release nitrogen when I didn't lose any to leaching. I placed it down in the soil already, and it stayed there for an extra month. Now, to your point about not being available for the water hemp right away, honestly, I'm not that worried about that. Quite frankly, I'd rather have the water hemp grow 
early so I can stop it with my herbicides. My concern is always late growth on the water hemp. So I don't necessarily see your water hemp thing as an advantage. I'd almost look at that as a disadvantage if there was a controlled release thing. So anyway, I, I guess where I'm going with this long statement here is, do you have a specific question or are you just looking for a general, hey, it's worth something to have uh, or worth roughly what we feel a certain value on the controlled release side? I, yeah, my question more or less is just how would you modify the equation to, to account for the value of the, of the sulfur and the AMS? Because uh, you're right, I, I know how to run the equation for per unit in, but it's a little bit different on this one because there's more than one fertilizer value in that analysis. Yep, okay. So anyway, with that sulfur and what that's going to be worth, it's, it's funny that you bring this up now because just right before the radio show, Darren and I were having this exact same conversation about manure. And there's a huge dairy next to us, and what's the value of that manure that's coming out of there? And anyway, so that, that's a whole other discussion, but I would say we, <laughs> we are working on a calculator so we can see, all right, what's really the value of that? Now, I'll just tell you what we put in for a value of sulfur right now for every pound was 84 cents. 84 cents that, per that actual unit. Yep. So then, then you run the calculations there. And so you, you say, all right, if it's 210024, then I just take 24 times the 84 cents and I got $20 and 16 cents. And I say, all right, um, then I'm going to subtract that out basically for every hundred pounds. So if I've got a ton, I multiply that times 20 and that gives me uh, $403. So it's a lot of dollars. And then you subtract that off and then divide the Yep. And then you divide by how many actual pounds of nitrogen that you've got in there. Okay. Yep. That, that's similar to what I was thinking. I just wanted to confirm it. So yep. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. And let's let's put it this way. It's even like this manure thing. Uh, the fertilizer prices are at an all-time high now. So we're looking at, all right, we're going to put X number of gallons of manure on. What's that worth? And the figures are staggering. It's just unbelievable how much some of this stuff costs. Thank goodness we have a high corn and a high soybean and a high wheat price today, because otherwise the fertilizer thing would be a killer. I ran the ROI on uh, corn and soybeans the other day, and it, it was amazing that even with the uh, the high input prices, the corn ROI I was coming up with was almost double that of the soybeans. And yep. It just made me go... Wow. <laughs> right. It's but the, still there, guys. It is, but the problem is there are a lot of bankers that are having some issue because they go, what? You want how many dollars to put the crop in this year? So I, I know some people are getting pushed to raise soybeans, and you know, quite frankly, that's fine too because the crop prices are great with everything. So anyway, yeah, it's a very interesting make year. make my corn price better. <laughs> uh, yep, I agree. Uh, but, you know, that that's kind of like the wheat discussion, too. Wheat acres have just been going down, down, down over the last 20 years. Well, all of a sudden, when you take Russia and Ukraine out, and, I mean, don't get me wrong, I feel terrible for those people over there, but... By the same token, we have we have to make some money here on the farm. And when I'm looking at, okay, there's $10 wheat now, I think it's going to 15 Well, I mean, that's only going to push corn and soybeans up or at least keep the corn and soybean prices up. So I'm super optimistic about our commodity prices, at least for the next year, year and a half. Same here. We've been looking at our cover crop wheat going, 
That looks more like a cash crop now. <laughs> I'm glad you're thinking that way. See, uh, that's the, that's another discussion Darren and I were just having before the radio show is, okay, let's put cover crop in. And I'm like, wait a second, how can we cash out on this cover crop? I mean, I'm great. I, it's great having cover out there, but everything you put in the ground right now is worth so much money. I don't want to just waste it. Well, hey, uh, Jared, thanks a lot for the questions and best of luck to you out there. Thank you, fellas. You bet. Talking soil pH on today's Ag PhD radio program, and certainly we end up with a lot of sulfur discussion along the way when we get into high pH, and, and in general now with fertility programs, there's a lot more need for sulfur than there was not that many years ago as, as air pollution has been less, there's less sulfur in the diesel, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, ammonium sulfate is going to be a real popular question when it comes to fertility programs. We're talking about soil pH today. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima Fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima Fungicide is not registered in all states. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. The next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now, 
You can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio talking soil pH on our show. But of course, if you've got an agronomic question, we would love to help out. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We've got Charlie White with us right now at Penn State to talk a little soil pH. Charlie, how are you doing? Great. How are you today? You know, we're doing doing quite well. I actually just got some lime put on yesterday on a, a new farm that I'm working with, and we had some pHs that were all the way down in the upper fours, low fives. So I'm hoping that pH helps this year's crop, or that lime helps the pH for this year's crop. What do you see with those lime applications? Do you see a good first-year benefit and a good run for the next couple of years, or or do you see all the benefit right now? When, when do you normally see that lime taking hold and, and getting to work for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, it'll probably take about six months to fully react, but you know, honestly, uh, as soon as you can get onto it, um, the the better. Um, you know, I think your your crop may struggle a little bit early in the season, but it's it's better to do it now than than to wait because the sooner you can can get going, the faster it'll start to react. But it'll probably take a full full six months to react before it's it's uh, done its job neutralizing acidity fully. I'm hoping this year's a little better than the last year and a half for catching some moisture. I know that'll help me out too, getting stuff to, to move through the soil and, and make those reactions. But uh, where you're at in, in Pennsylvania, what are growers asking you about when it comes to soil pH? Well, there's a lot of questions about whether or not to uh, incorporate, whether lime needs to be incorporated. And so one of the things I'm, and with, you know, the prevalence of no-till, that's that's a real challenge. And so I'm curious with your situation, were you able to incorporate that lime or were you just putting it onto the soil surface? Well, at this point, it's been spread on the soil surface. We're catching uh, some moisture here. And as soon as it dries back out, we've actually got some spring manure to put out there too. So it's going to get incorporated when that manure gets applied. Okay, that's great. I'm glad to hear that ultimately you'll be incorporating it because one of the challenges we have with situations like that, farmer might be picking up some new ground and they pull a soil test and they're committed to no-till, but their pH might be, you know, down 5.5 five in that full 6 to 8 inch quote-unquote plow layer and then they want to do no-till and, and just apply the lime on the soil surface and what we see is that it only really reacts with the first one to two inches of soil and it's not bringing that whole profile back up. And so that's a real challenge with, with no-till production is being able to get get that full layer of topsoil um, rebalanced in terms of its pH without full incorporation of the lime. One question we get to in, in our state, there's growers that say, man, I'm so far away from a lime source, but my dealer has pelleti- pelletized lime. What do you think about pelletized lime and what would be your recommendation if that's the best alternative available? Well, pelletized lime is, is generally it's still a true lime source, calcium carbonate, and it's finely ground and then it's been, you know, adhered together into granules. Um, you know, around here where our bedrock is limestone and we've got a, a, a limestone quarry at every corner, it tends to be a little bit more expensive, but in other parts of the country, um, maybe the pelletized lime, you know, when you factor in the transportation cost, maybe that is more cost effective. And so, 
Um, certainly, I wouldn't shy away from it if that's what's available and if, if you feel it's cost effective. Um, you should, you know, look at the calcium carbonate equivalents and determine your liming rate based on that actual analysis of the material. But um, aside from, from cost, uh, it's certainly a, a, an effective liming material, no doubt about that. How about on the other side, high pH? And I, I know low pH, it's it's kind of fun to talk about because we have a really good solution and it gets to work relatively fast. High pH, though, oh my goodness, it takes some time to turn things around. Uh, in our area, our, I guess big things that we've seen, we've got a lot of areas where we have poor drainage and when we do Generally, the pH goes up over time as we build up certain nutrients. And then our other challenge we got is high magnesium raising up pH. What what do you have for challenges in Pennsylvania that are causing soil pHs to be high? Yeah, well, we have one of the things we have is a, a strong poultry industry here, and the layer manure um, tends to be high in calcium carbonate and uh, if farmers are using pretty heavy rates of layer manure, that can certainly over time drive um, soil pH above above optimum. Um, so that's that's one thing that we look at. And um, you know, some of the way you can manage that is thinking about your nitrogen fertilizer programs, and that tends to be an acidifying factor. Um, the other thing would be to think about your sulfur program, and if there's an opportunity to uh, uh, put, bring in elemental sulfur as a sulfur source, that's certainly going to be very acidifying. Um, ammonium sulfate will be a very acidifying nitrogen source. So you can kind of think about other parts of the system um, that you can adjust to try and help lower that soil pH um, uh, when you can. Yeah, lots to think about here and getting pH in line. And then, of course, that doesn't even count fertilizing for the crop, which is not cheap this year either. Yeah, it's tough questions this year for nutrient management specialists like Charlie White at Penn State. Charlie, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for the insight as well. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Talking high pH and low pH soils and, and what to do on them on our show today. Uh, I, I look at our lime that we're doing, Brian, and we talk about water treatment plant lime. It's it's really been pretty high quality calcium carbonate, but there's also other nutrients in there too. And that's something that I think you need to look at with any lime source that you're using, like a water treatment plant lime, or like if you're getting uh, layer manure, like what Charlie was talking about, or eggshells for raising pH. Just look at the total content of what's in there. That plus, I would suggest running your own tests. Personally, I don't trust a lot of the information that's out there. And I'm not saying anybody's trying to do wrong or trying to mislead anybody, but it's very common where there's an enormous pile of something, manure, lime, whatever, and they pull a couple samples and say, well, this is what it is. <laughs> is it? Is that what you're getting? Or is that just what they had pulled initially? So I kind of like to know what's going on in our fields. Over the years, as we've run manure into our fields, we've pulled samples sporadically, and then we just have looked at, all right, how did, how did those test results come out? So we'll make estimates on what we think, but then we get the final calculations made later when we see what the, what the test results show. So here again, this is something Darren and I were talking about right before the radio show. We're kind of looking at historically, what have we gotten out of manure? How much nitrogen's there been? How much phosphorus? How much potassium? And the micronutrients and, and all these other things that can be in there, well, it could be the same thing with the water treatment lime or anything else. I'll say, too, 
as soon as you mention water treatment lime, a lot of people panic because they go, oh, no, there are going to be lots of heavy metals in there. Well, test for it and find out. In our experience, we haven't found that in the water treatment lime that we are dealing with, but that doesn't mean that it might not be true for you. So just test it, and then you find out, and then you know. There are limits out there that you can have for heavy metals. So in other words, a tiny little bit of some heavy metal isn't the end of the world. There are heavy metals you put on your ground on a regular basis. I, I mean, let's let's talk about zinc. Even molybdenum that, that we occasionally put on, that's a heavy metal too. But crops can use heavy metals. It's just they need very small amounts. So you got to be careful about what you're doing so you don't cause any problems in your soil. All right. To finish up on this soil pH thing, we probably get more questions on high pH than we do low because with low pH, I think most everybody realizes, oh, I'll put lime on, I'll solve that problem at least for a while. All right, so with the high pH ground, the first thing we always suggest you do is run a soil test and try to figure out, well, why did my pH get high in the first place? A lot of the time, poor drainage is part of the cause. In some cases, it's all of the cause. But many times in the high pH soils, usually we're dealing with a little bit heavier ground and drainage can be a problem. We also, from time to time, do see issues with irrigation water where people are putting on a lot of irrigation and the water quality that they're using, it's just not very good. So how are you going to overcome that long term? Well, you either have to put less water on or stop putting water on or find a better source or maybe treat that water or treat the field to get rid of the things that are harmful that are causing your pH to go up. And again, I'll leave you with this. If your pH is off, too high, too low, whatever, that's usually an indicator that something's out of balance in your soil. If you get nutrients in balance over time, what you usually find is that pH starts to moderate. And very often it will end up in the sixes if you work on it and work on it and work on it, get things balanced, and then eventually your crops turn out a lot better and your profitability goes up. All right, we'll get back to the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. Farmers across the country are raving about the Germinator closing system from Farm Shop MFG. Paul from New York says, My planter has never worked so well on soybeans. I'll definitely be using the Germinator wheels again and will be telling everyone I know. For more success stories from farmers everywhere and to order a set for your planter this spring, visit farmshopmfg.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. 
At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Two by two by two systems have never been more popular. 360 has them in stock and ready to ship. 360 Bandit puts bands of liquid nitrogen in the sweet spot for early root interception and uptake. Both sides of the row, three inches from the seed, and just three quarters of an inch below the soil surface. Your planter can do more with 360 Bandit. In stock and ready to ship. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time now, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show. It's 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Herbicide question for you, Brian. This one comes from Matt in Illinois. And he said, what do you guys think about Trivent's for a pre-plant soybean chemical. I want to do three pre's, but my retailer can't get yellows. Trivents in 7.2 ounces has 1.8 ounces of Valor, 0.27 pounds of Metribuzin, and 1.1 ounce of Classic. There's a use rate of 6 to 10 ounces per acre, 7.2, kind of a standard. Uh, what do you think about that product instead of using one of the yellows if we can't get them? Well, the, here's the reason why I don't like Trivance. I and this is why I always tell you. And Matt, again, Matt's in Illinois. Yeah, I get it, but it's not going to matter. I don't. I don't like the product because of one of the components. Do I love Valor? You bet. Love Metribuzin? You bet. Do I like Classic? Nope, hate it. The reason why is carryover. We just worry about carryover issues in our geography. For example, we've had it before where. We have a pH spot that's over 7.4. Yeah, just one spot out in the field. And the yep. rest of the field, no just problem. Just fine, yep. And it, literally, the corn will be dead the next year. It won't even grow. So I, I, I just I don't like classic, plus the fact, what good's it doing you anyway? It's an ALS herbicide. or it, So it's a sulfonylurea herbicide, but it's in the ALS family. And is it going to kill your water hemp? No. Is it going to kill your mare's tail? No. Is it going to kill your ragweed? No. Uh, I mean, is it going to kill your kochia? No. You probably don't have that in Illinois, but we do. So I, I don't know what you're killing with the classic and why you need that in there. So am I going to use it? No. I, I just look at stuff's expensive and I don't mind investing money if I get something out of it. But why would I invest money in something that could carry over, kill my corn next year, and it's not going to kill my weeds this year? So, no, I'm not going to use it. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, get this one in from Raphael. 
And he says, I'm an ag and biosystems engineer student from the Philippines. I've got an in- inquiry for you guys, and I'm wondering about organic matter. It's typically 1% to 5% of the soil. Why is it such a small percentage? <laughs> well, it isn't always a small percentage. We were just talking earlier in the show about uh, farmer's peat ground that was like 34% organic matter. So the problem when soil organic matter gets real high, we will often say here on the show, look, we want you to build soil organic matter because a lot of people are talking about 2%, like Jared from Illinois just a little earlier in the show, he had 2% organic matter. Okay, we want to build it up so then we have more water and nutrient holding capacity in the soil. We have like a spongier soil. It's The soil has a lot more forgiveness, better porosity, just a lot of really, really good things. But there's a limit to it. So once you get beyond, I'll just say, 7 or 8% organic matter in the soil, it really starts tying up a lot of things. So it's not uh, a, a benefit. It's actually a detriment. Anyway, why isn't it higher? I don't know. It just, that's the way things developed. So, I, I, I mean, I, I, we, can go, we could go through a lot of details on certain things that could break it down, build it, all that. But just very simply put, I'll say if a farmer wants to decrease the soil organic matter because it's too high on his farm, do lots of tillage and introduce lots of air into the soil to burn it up and burn it up faster. If you want to build soil organic matter, you reduce tillage and try to leave your roots intact as much as possible from year to year. Leave the residue out there. Do everything you can to have have the soil life slowly break stuff down. Organic matter will build over time. And it actually doesn't take all that much time. In 20 or 30 years, you could build soil organic matter two or three points if you wanted to. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I guess I'll leave it at that. Okay, got a couple of questions that came in here from Tom in Iowa. He said, first, uh, I'll ask you my lime question, then I've got a question on copper. First of all, how much lime is too much when you have areas in your field calling for three to four tons per acre with variable rate technology? All right, well, first of all, three to four tons doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. And here's what I mean by that. Is that three to four tons of actual calcium carbonate? I doubt it. It's usually people are talking about three to four tons of lime. Well, what lime material? How much is water? How much is the actual calcium? So in terms of how much is too much, I'll just tell you what Neil Kinsey has said to us over the years, 2,400 pounds of actual calcium. So the water treatment lime we typically use is only 17% calcium. So roughly that means I could put six tons of that water treatment lime out there and I'm fine. That's kind of my limit. So three to four tons to me sounds good, but I don't know what material you have and how high the calcium percentage is. So that's what you want to look at is how much is actual calcium. And I probably wouldn't suggest exceeding that actual calcium by 2,000, 2,400 pounds, somewhere in that range. Okay. Then his other question, he said, is there any risk applying 10 to 15 pounds of copper sulfate broadcast with 300 pounds of ammonium sulfate plus 100 pounds of actual potash that would be applied around V4 corn? Ooh, I was all in until you said, I'm going to do it over the top. I don't like spreading anything over the top. So I don't know exactly how this is getting applied. If it was pre-plant, 
dry. I'm all in. If it's post, yeah, I understand it's dry. I'm just saying, are you banding it down the row? If you're just broadcast spreading it, would I do that? No way. I'm never going to spread urea over the top of my crop. Burns too much. Uh, that much copper sulfate, it might be okay. I, I just, I'd be a little bit worried about it. It's a fair amount. So my concern with this is how much is ending up in the world? And granted, if your, your corn is small, there's not going to be a lot, but I still don't like it. I'm going to burn stuff a little bit. So that that's, that's my fear. I would say if you're going to do this, make sure that the crop is fully dry. Don't do it first thing in the morning when there's dew. Otherwise, more is going to stick on the leaves. More is going to end up rolling down those whorls, and you don't want that. All right. Thanks for the questions, Tom. I really appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Let's do this one's kind of a lime question, too. This comes from Caleb down in Georgia. He said, uh, I had, had a grower that I'm working with send me an analysis of wood ash from the pulp mill that he works at. He doesn't have a pH analysis on the product, but he was curious if you think there might be a liming value. I see some decent amounts of other nutrients as well. Uh, what do you think about wood ash? We, you know, we just had a wood ash question come in just, boy, last week, I believe. And I told Rob Fritz's story. He said, when you think about that, you're burning something in the pot and you got the ash from the pot. Basically, you got pot ash, right? And there's a lot of calcium that's also in that. So I'm not sure what the calcium percentage was on this particular sample, but a lot of times you end well, up with a lot of K and a lot of, a lot of calcium. Yeah, it's not a lot. Uh, let's see. Okay, so pounds per ton, 8.4, or sorry, no, I'll take that back. It's three, oh boy, the, the print's so unbelievably small. I'm trying to get to it. Okay, looks like 32 pounds per ton of calcium. And it says what's available out of that is only 9.6. Well, let's focus on that 32 per ton. Okay, so let's say you put 10 tons of it out there. Um, you got 320 pounds. Is that a big deal? No. Is it gonna is it gonna increase my pH a, a whole lot just based on that? I would assume no. But you have to look at all the stuff that's in there and try not to get things super out of balance. So just for example, there's aluminum in there, and some aluminum fine. But to have a whole bunch of aluminum, that can cause problems, especially if your pH is low. 7.4 pounds for every ton, for example, with that. So anyway, I would I use some? Sure. It's got a bunch of nutrients in there. Would I think that it's going to help me a whole lot in terms of raising my pH? Probably not. Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, and it really brings up a, a great point that we've been making here today as we're talking about soil pH and many of the things that you're going to utilize to adjust soil pH, whether on the low side, um, you say, hey, or I'm, you're trying to lower pH using something like a sulfur product. Uh, there are a lot of different sulfur products out there, and many times you have to look at what the total analysis is to come up with other nutrients that are in there. Or if it's a calcium product and you're trying to increase pH, or you need calcium and magnesium and you're using both, just make sure you're taking a look at the full analysis on any of the products you're using. I had mentioned that we're just using some water treatment plant lime that we've been using for a number of years in different parts of our farm. And man, there's quite a few pounds of different nutrients out there like iron and sulfur as well, which can be really beneficial for our crop. We just have to put that into our whole program. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.